um, as we jump into this text. Let's do that together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And Lord, to know that sweetness is to, is to comprehend with our minds, to enjoy with our affections, to be moved to obedience. And Lord, all of it is of you. So we ask, Lord, today that you would impart to us by your spirit, through your word, for your glory, the ability, the, the joy, the love that we find in Christ Jesus to comprehend your grace. We're literally asking to comprehend the uncomprehendable. So help us as we do that now. We need you, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, today we're, we're continuing our series um, through the month of October. Uh, today's the 29th. Um, on October 31st, is celebra- celebrates Reformation Day. Uh, so we're, we're doing a series called Reformation Matters and going through the five, what's called the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, and the five solas is, is as we saw, uh, I think it was, yeah, two weeks ago or last week, uh, according to Scripture alone, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And I've said the next several weeks I'm going to try to unpack that phrase just more fully for us because there's a lot in there. Um, so according to Scripture alone is what we covered the last two weeks. And the next, this week and next we're going to cover we are saved by grace alone, okay? Uh, so this week well, I want us to see this. If you're taking notes, this is what I want you to see. By grace alone means the dead are made alive, saved from wrath, raised with Christ, and empowered to walk in faith, okay? So that's where we're going. That's what we're looking at today. But I have a question as we we start, because it's really important we start with definitions. So when you think about the grace of God, what comes into your mind? What comes into your mind when you you think of the grace of God? I'm fearful. I think we live in a generation that is very confused, very, very, very confused about very, very basic things like the grace of God. You might think, well, how, how could they be confused about the grace of God? Well, let me tell you, let me give you a story of an old, old, old dead guy, and then I'll give you, I think, how it's relevant for us. Martin Luther, you've heard this story of him uh, probably before, but in Martin Luther's day, the grace of God could have been called this. This is what they used to call it. The grace of God meant doing what they could. Okay, so in Luther's day, he was actually what's called an Augustinian monk. He lived in, he lived in a monastery, just like you would think a monk would. And he, would, he really struggled with sin. And he, he, he just kept seeing, I'm struggling with sin. I don't know how to get over it. And you know what they just kept telling him over and over and over? Do what you can, Luther. Do what you can, and, and God will accept you on that. They would actually say, to the one who does what's in him, God will not deny grace. And Luther's problem, I don't know if you're like Luther maybe in this way, if you kept hearing someone say, do what you could, the question was always for him, could I do more? Could I do more? And he perpetually, he would, he would do the most ridiculous things. We would look at them now today and we'd be like, why, why was he doing that? He would climb stairs. This was the thing in, in, in Catholic circles. They would climb stairs on their knees, trying to, trying to be penitent enough. 
And he just kept hearing people say, Luther, just do what you can, man. Just keep doing what you can. And I'm fearful that I think some people, even today, that that sentiment still resides. Do what you can. Or, when they hear the grace of God, here's another pitfall I think that we fall into. It's a divine sentimentality toward us. Oh, we know, we know God's gracious. One day He'll receive us because He's just kind. Kind of like Santa Claus in the heavens. You know, like one day we'll come to Him and He'll just be really kind to us. And I think we see this. I want to actually give an example. I think we see this, and we saw this in The Peacemaker when we covered it. Uh, I heard the, the youth, you guys covered this in The Peacemaker downstairs. I think we see the grace of God, our concept of the grace of God, when we offend someone and when we apologize to other people. I'll say for a long time, I, I think me personally, when people would offend me and I would, they would say, will, will you forgive me? I would always say, it's okay. We're good. Notice, and you see this all the time, go apologize to somebody for something that you've done wrong and you see what they say to you. I guarantee you what they'll say to you is, it's okay. We're cool. And I say this to say an apology is not to reject that something wrong hasn't happened. When we apologize, what we're saying is, will you absorb the offense I have done to you? Will you absorb it? And for us to say it's fine or we're good, no problem, cheapens the offense. It cheapens the fact we have to absorb it. So we try to do one of two things in our society. Just start doing this to people. When they, when they ask for forgiveness, you start looking at them and saying, I forgive you and you will see exactly what I mean. They'll say, they'll say, I'm sorry, and then you'll say, I forgive you, and they'll be like, well, I didn't hurt you that bad. <laughs> it's like, well, then, do, you see, do you see? I mean, I think we've seen this. I think this is our understanding of grace. It's more of a divine sentimentality that one day, God, he's just going to wash it. It's all going to work out in the wash. I actually met with a Jehovah's Witness this week, and we were talking. I just love talking to Jehovah's Witnesses. It's so much fun. And, but what she described to me when I asked what makes you right with God is something to the effect of, he'll receive me because I worship him rightly. And what that is, though the words sound really nice and very, very all dolled up and whatnot, what that is is one day he'll just feel kind toward me. And I'm afraid that that can tend to be our natural disposition toward God. One day, don't worry, he'll, he'll just forgive me someday. The problem is, we have real, concrete sins day by day. And the question is, how do we deal with them? And I, I think the Bible is just replete with it. We could go to so many different places, but we need to start where the Bible starts. So I want us to see, if you're taking notes, see this, that this is where the Bible starts. It starts with me and you dead in our sins, dead in your sins. And this is life apart from Christ. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Now, he's starting like a new section here. He just got done introducing himself, saying, praying this amazing prayer of spiritual blessing. And then he comes back around and he says, this is how he starts it. He says, and you, and when he says you, he doesn't just mean you personally. He means all y'all. Paul is a southerner. And this is one of these all y'all words. He says, all y'all. And you all were dead and your trespasses and sin. Now, that word dead is really unique. In the Greek, that word dead means dead. It means what it says. It mean, there's no difference. It's dead. Like, go to a graveyard, look around you, and the kind of deadness that's in the graveyard is the kind of deadness that he's talking about. 
since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, we have lived under the curse, and all of us, me included, were dead, were once dead. Listen to what God commanded them. This is what He told them, Genesis 2, 16-17. And you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And then Paul talks about it later. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is known as the spiritual death or the spiritual alienation between God and man. I once heard, and this is actually oftentimes how you will talk to religious people on the campus and you'll say, so tell me, what is, what is, what is salvation? And they'll begin to describe it. And what they describe is like you're drowning in a pool and God has thrown us the proverbial life vest. And what I want to say is that's actually not the biblical portrait. The biblical portrait is far more bleak than that. The biblical portrait is, is so they're, they're saying if you simply are drowning in a pool, the problem is simply ignorance. My problem is simply ignorant. We just need to know more information. And then grace becomes this better teaching. Or, or, if, or if, if, it's not, if it's not ignorance, maybe it's we're tossing a life vest of like the Catholic Church does and says, you just need more sacraments. If you could take the sacraments more, then you will have enough grace. No. What if, as Paul's saying here, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins, rather than tossing the proverbial salvation life vest, he looks at the bottom of the pool and sees a person drowned and dead actually dead to the point that there's just bones. God swims to the bottom and brings, man, brings the bones up and makes them alive. That is the biblical portrait of grace. That is the biblical portrait of grace, and that's what he's doing. Le- Leonard Ravenhill, I love what he says. I quote this all the time. Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good. I say this all the time. He came into the world to make dead men live. I've been watching, I've just been struck by it. I've been watching home videos. I don't know if, you've, you've, if you're a home video taker or maybe you've watched your own home videos. But I've been really struck by who I used to be. Even as an eight or nine-year-old boy, who I used to be. And I remember looking, I mean, I've, I've just been watching it so much recently, showing Simeon. We have them all digitized now to where we can see them, and I love watching them. But I just keep seeing little eight- or nine-year-old Daniel and thinking, hearing him talk, hearing him speak, hearing him be disrespectful to his parents, and just keep thinking, that child was degenerate. That child, that child, I don't even know, it's like I don't even know who that kid was. You know why? Because he's dead now. You know why he died? Because in the death of Christ, he died. We don't need spiritual healing. We need spiritual resurrection. That's why I can watch those home videos and I can say, that kid's dead. He's not who I am today. Praise God. Praise God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. A person is dead prior to anything in themselves. So we look at humanity and we're like, man, why do, why do people act like that? The, the lady, the Jehovah's Witness today, the, the other day was telling me, people act like that. You know why there's war? 
because people don't listen to each other. <laughs> I said, ma'am, we're dead. Apart from Christ, we, we, are, we are shells of what we're made to be warring with one another. The humanistic answer is that you just come, is that it comes down to upbringing. Everything's about who we, who we were being brought up. But this is not the answer Paul gives. The answer Paul gives to why there's conflict, why there's all sorts of things, is we are dead apart from Christ. Here's the three ways we're dead. Here's the first. We're following your flesh. Following your flesh. Now notice the stackable nature that Paul gives here. He says, And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. In which you once walked is shorthand for, this is who you were. This is what you did. Everyone at one time or another was a hater of God, and they hated one another. And he goes on and he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, I, I think sometimes we, we think about the grace of God, and I think arguably the reason we don't understand the grace of God is we don't understand our plight. We don't understand how far gone we were. And we were complicit in, in the rebellion against God. James 1, 1 through 14 through 15 says, Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So it's following your flesh. Here's the second one. It's following the world. Following the world. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That's the direction of this present age. When you look at the folly and the foolishness around you, you ought to look at them at some level with compassion. Here's why. Because you were once just like them. And apart from the inbreaking grace of God, you would still be with them. So we, as Christians, are the most humble people on earth because we know we were once people who were following after the whims and wavers of the world. Here's the third way. We are following the devil. You know, in our culture, we always, people will be like, yeah, the devil's after me. And what I always want to say to somebody who's not a Christian, the devil's not after you. You're doing his bidding. That's a whole lot different, isn't it? If you're not a Christian and you hear somebody who's not a Christian say, oh yeah, the devil's after me, I almost want to chuckle and I want to say, no, you're actually doing his bidding. You're doing what he wants you to do. Listen to what he says, verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. At one time, as Luther said, we were once like a man... <laughs> If you think about it like this, you're either riding the donkey of the devil, doing his bidding, or we are riding Christ in that way. There's two, there's two directions, and they're vehemently opposed to each other. Listen to Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And ultimately, what, what, what we, and that's, this is just getting the picture of what's going on. But the real problem for this person who's dead in their sins is there's a freight train of the wrath of God coming for that person. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I love what Carl Truman says about the wrath of God. We shouldn't think about it. He says, it is neither an impersonal process of cause and effect, nor God's vindictive anger, nor unbridled and unrighteous revenge, nor an outburst of passion. Wrath describes neither some autonomous entity alongside God, nor some principle of retribution that is not associated closely with His personality. Furthermore, the wrath of God does not stand over against His love and mercy. He is a holy God and therefore does not stand idly by when people act unrighteously, transgress His law, show disdain to Him as their Creator. And this should create great sobriety for me and you. Great sobriety. And it's with this sober, dark background that we understand the grace of God. And I would argue, I would say, if you don't understand the dark background, the light, the glory of grace, you miss it. You miss it. If you think, if, if we think as Christians, I'm just kind of dead, then when we see the grace of God, it's just, it, it's dulled. We dull it. So here's the thing I want you to see. Secondly, it's forgiving grace. It's from death to life. Notice what happens in verse 4, and we need to see this with the starkest contrast of verses 1 through 3. You were dead in your trespasses, you followed the devil, you followed your own desires, you followed your own, the world and all that was in it. Notice what verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, We were once destined for wrath and destruction, but God rescued us. We were all offensive to God, but God came in and saved sinners. Paul again highlights it. Notice even again in verse 5. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So Paul's not trying trying to doll us up So I want us to see God's creational love. God's creational love. Now we need to start getting, now that we've understood the dark background, which is dead in your sins, now we can start talking about grace. And I would argue if we don't start here with the dead in our sins, we never understand grace. We never understand the glory, the beauty, the wonder of grace. I want us to see God's creational love. Now, I haven't defined grace, but I want to define it for us. Grace has been defined helpfully as God's unmerited favor, meaning that it's not something we earn. It's something He lavishes on us. 
Truman, I think, helpfully says, grace, we might say, is a response, an application of God's character and attributes to human rebellion. Grace is the aspect of divine action by which God blesses His rebellious creatures. We could go on, but I want to give you an example. I was thinking about this the other day. The the difference of my love and God's love. Now, my love, I was actually just pondering the other day, the first time I met my wife, and I met her, I could still remember what I was doing. I was going to the park to watch a softball game. If you're married, you probably remember what it was like the first time you saw your spouse. You looked at them, and you probably thought, maybe you didn't look at them, and there was some big moment. Maybe there wasn't. But for me, I remember thinking, man, like, she's beautiful, and I know she's a really sweet woman. And I remember meeting her and seeing her, and I thought, man, she is lovely. She is a lovely woman. But the thing about, that's my love, okay? My love is very responsive. I see something lovely, and I want to love it. God's love's not like that. And I would actually argue this is why we don't understand God's love a lot of times. God's love's not like mine, because we look at us, and we see sinners, and we think, how could God love us? God's love is actually creative. This is where me and, me and my love and God's love is so different. His love doesn't wait for something to be lovely to love it. He makes it lovely. God doesn't go around and say, oh yeah, this one, this person, yeah, look how lovely they are. They're such a sweetie pie. He's the equivalent of a husband looking for a wife in a graveyard who looks up and says on the tomb and says, up oh, here lies my bride. I'm going to raise her and make her lovely. The love of God, this is, this is Luther, the love of God does not find, but creates that which is pleasing to it. I want you to hear that again, how different that is than mine and yours understanding of love. My love says, look how lovely this person is. I love them. God's love says, there ain't anybody lovely, but I'm going to make them lovely. But I'm going to create them, in them, that which is lovely. It's the kind of love he lavishes on Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden covered, covered their shame, tried to cover their shame and nakedness with leaves. And what does God do in Genesis 3.21? And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. The very first sacrifice we see in the Bible at the hands of who? God himself. I don't, know if, I don't know if you've ever pondered it, what it would have felt like to leave the garden, but to remember you're being clothed with the very thing. You're being clothed with the very thing that's bringing you to life in that moment. So we see God's creational love. That's the kind of love that God has for his people. He creates in them that which is lovely. That's the first thing. I want you to see, secondly, that by grace you are made alive in Jesus. Now notice again, verse 2, or verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Remember, I'll I'll use my example again, God's love versus my love. Now remember, I I saw my wife and I thought, man, she she is beautiful. I want to marry that one. God didn't do that. He, he, raised us literally from the dead. And you know the other thing that has to happen when you marry somebody? Everything that's that person's becomes yours. So when I married my wife, all of her debt became my debt. 
all of her issues became now my issues. Now, what do you think happens when you raise a dead person? You think they got some issues? You think they got some baggage? Maybe just a little bit? Just a little. She's got some debt. She's got a lot of judgment coming. And what does our groom do? He dies in her place. He raises her from the dead, and then he rises in her place. He saw the light, the dead corpses, just like we see in Ezekiel 37, the, the valley of dry bones, and he looks at him and says, live, live, and now you are lovely. Paul says in another place, I think helpfully, Colossians 3, he says, for you, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, I don't know about you, but I've really struggled the last several weeks look at watching these home videos. Because I look and I see this young man who was so degenerate, who was such a jerk, rude, disobedient to his parents, ungodly. And I kept thinking, how, how am I supposed to view him? How am I supposed to understand who this kid was? He's dead. He died. In my baptism, he died. And his death was found in the death of Christ. So, we, we're, by grace, we're made alive in Jesus. Here's the second thing I want us to, the third thing I want us to see. By grace, you have been saved from the wrath to come. You've been saved from the wrath to come. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You know, we never stop and think about it. We'll, we'll talk about salvation and we'll say, yes, I'm saved. And they'll even say, I'm saved from my sins, which is true. But why are your sins a problem? Your sins and my sins are a problem because there is a freight train of the wrath of God coming towards sin. And the glory, the wonder of the gospel is that Christ stepped on the tracks of the train in our place. Listen to Titus 3, how, what he says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But here it is again, the same, the same dynamic. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We don't have to wonder what the grace of God looks like. The grace of God has a name, and His name is Jesus. When we look at the cross, this is why so many people, I say, don't know what grace is, because they don't know the one who's come and died. wanted us to look briefly, but I don't think we're going to have time to do so, so we'll have to save it for another time. I think people's responses to the grace of God, but we're going to look at that later. Uh, the reality, though, is that Jesus married a bride who was dead in her sins. He married a bride who was under divine judgment. 
And what he did is he took her place and he gave her his status. By grace, you have been raised with Christ. Now notice what he says again in verse 6 and 7. You should have it there in front of you. He says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The benefits of the grace shown in us in the gospel is God raising us up with the Lord Jesus, seating us in the heavenly places in Christ. So when we see So I'll ask that same question I've been asking. How are we supposed to think about our former life? You're dead. What about our present life? What do we think about now? I think the answer is actually in Colossians. If you turn there real quick, I want you to see it. Forgive me, I don't have this one in front of us. Colossians 3. This is is just so profound. And this is what it means to be a Christian. So he says again in Colossians 3, 3, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you notice that? So, so if we sit and we wonder, man, what am I supposed to think about? So that's how I'm supposed to think about my past. This old man in my baptism died. What are we to think about our life now? Notice what he says in verse 3. And your life now, currently, presently, is hidden with Christ in God. And then futuristically, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. God's purpose in salvation of sinners is to show the surpassing greatness, the surpassing riches, the surpassing wealth of his grace toward us. God delights in taking the base things of this world and making them new by himself. He delights to take the wicked things of this world and make them lovely in his son. So we see the forgiving grace from death to life. And then next week, we're going to look at this one more fully, but I want to just give us a hint of it from Ephesians 2. It's the, lastly, it's the empowering grace. It's the empowering grace of God. We are saved by grace to walk in faith. There's a couple ways we can go here. And there's a helpful chart here I want you to look at. There are two ditches on either side of grace, okay? So the, the, the straight and narrow, if you will, or the upper path on this path that we're to walk, is saved by grace to walk in faith. Now there's two ditches. And the first ditch I would call legalism. And legalism over here says if I try hard enough, God will love me. If I do good enough, if I try hard enough, I need to keep up, keep it up, I need to look a certain way so that God will love me. That's not understanding grace. And then there's a second, and then I would say that I think is actually more pervasive probably in our own day, maybe. I don't know which is more pervasive. And I would call it license. License. Which says, God loves me either way, it doesn't matter how I live, I'll do whatever I jolly well please. And both of these are not realizing the forgiving and empowering grace of God. I have been, here's what, here's what saved by grace to walk in faith sounds like. I have been saved as the gift of God, so I walk in obedience to Christ. 
I have been saved as the gift of God, and I want to continue in the power of God that he's given to me. So I want us to see, lastly, as we close up, grace is the gift of God. Grace is the gift of God. Notice what he says in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. There it is again. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When a person has trusted Jesus for salvation, we don't bring anything. That is the hardest, I think that's actually one of the hardest realities of salvation. Because our natural human heart wants to say, I've done blank. I've committed myself for 30 years. I did this. But Jesus is saying, come and receive the grace and the gift of God. This is actually why I think it's very unhelpful to pray things like the sinner's prayer. There's nothing wrong with the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is fine. But when we strip down trusting Christ to some formulaic expression of faith, we diminish salvation by grace through faith. We elevate walking an aisle, saying a prayer, and we subtly begin to believe that salvation is something I do. Something I do. The emphasis here, though, notice what the emphasis is here on verse 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. He clarifies it again. It's a gift. The silliness of thinking that salvation is of us is like your children opening a gift from you on Sunday morning or on Christmas morning and saying, man, I was really great in bringing this gift. I really bought it. I, I paid for it. Look, I unwrapped it. If I wouldn't have unwrapped it, it wouldn't have been here. No. The grace, the gift has already been given. One of God's purposes is in salvation is that so nobody can stand back and say, I did it. I made the decision. I chose to follow Jesus. No, the emphasis is upon the gift nature of salvation so that nobody can say, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are are, so that no human being might boast in his presence. I was talking to a kid this week, again, and he was asking, I said something to him to the effect of, I asked him again, what's going to make him right someday before God? And he was, I forget exactly how he answered me, but I said something to him that I'm not going to tell God that I was a pastor. Look how great I was, Lord. I was a pastor. And he was really surprised by that because he thought, he thought at some level that, well, I should be able to go and tell God, look at how faithful I've been. Look at how faithful I've been. No. Grace is the gift of God. And then third, lastly, I want us to see that grace finally is the power to walk in faith. Grace is the power to walk in faith. So here's the purpose. Here's the purpose, the grounds for the purpose of why we're saved this way. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see it? The grace of God has this purpose before us. That as we work, as we work in obedience to Christ, 
we're doing what he created us for. It's the same grace that can cause Paul to pray later. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Do you hear that? Even that language? On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. So even when Paul works hard, he knows it's the grace of God empowering me to do it. I want us to close here with this. I think Truman's very helpful here. He says, He does not just save us from our sins. He also matures us in the faith and uses us to bring glory to His name even while here on earth. Yet this too is ultimately the gracious work of God. Thus, these two meanings are intimately connected. It is because we are saved by grace that grace then works in our lives to accomplish God's purposes for us. The Christian life originates in God's grace and is lived by grace, and this is true of both Old and New Testaments. By grace alone means the dead are made alive, saved from wrath, raised with Christ, and empowered to walk by faith. And then next week we're going to look at Uh, the empowering grace of God. I want us to close, and I want us to ask a very simple question. Though I've highlighted and continually said about how the grace of God is the free gift, there is a level to ask you the simple question, have you received afresh this grace? When we talk about the forgiving grace of God, this is not a one-time event. This is now, now, there is a sense in the regeneration part of it, yes, that is a one-time event, but there's also the same part of this is how the Christian matures. This is how the Christian grows. This is how the Christian walks by faith. They come back to God again for fresh cleansing, for, for, for fresh forgiving grace in the gospel. So I have to ask you, have you done that recently? Have you come to God in, in Jesus Christ for the grace of God? I want us to pause, and I want us to consider what we've heard here today. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe you've, you, maybe you've heard this before. And if you have, good. Then walk by faith. Then come back again for fresh cleansing. Or maybe this is the first time you've heard this, and you've not yet received Christ. I encourage you today, do that. Receive Christ. Be reconciled to Christ in that way. I just want to give us a minute to ponder on this.